Hello there. Welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? I hope you're well, uh, which would set you apart from me because I'm not well. I'm not well at all. You might be able to hear it in my voice. I have a throat infection. I have a chest infection. And I'm feeling shit. Like really Really shit. So shit, I had to go to the doctor and everything. I don't like going to the doctor. I don't suppose anybody really likes going to the doctor, apart from, I don't know, mad people who like going to the doctor. Because you only go to the doctor when you're sick. Maybe there's people who like going to the doctor to pretend they're sick. There's probably some kind of symptom or condition where you you seek doctor's approval, so you go to the doctor all the time, and maybe you don't ultimately like that. I don't know, but I had to go to the doctor. And he looked down my throat and went, ugh, ugh, I can see all kinds of things down there. I was like, oh, like what? And he said, you don't really want to know. It's bad, though. It's really bad. I'm going to give you some, some antibiotics. And I said, doctor, come on. What's going on here? Antibiotics? I need something more than that. And he said, like what? And I said, you know, some morphine. He said, look, I can't give you... Can I give you morphine for a throat infection or a chest infection? I said, come on, just a little bit of morphine. Not, I'm not talking about loads. I'm only going to use it myself. I'm not going to, like, sell it on the streets or anything. I just need a little bit of morphine so I can just chew on it in the evening and just sort of pass out a bit on the sofa. And by the time I wake up, I'll, I'll feel all better. And he was like, nah, nah, you're going to have amoxicillin or some bag of shit like that. So I've got some, some of that does seem to be working, but not in the, the beautiful drift-away magic way that, that morphine works. Oh, sweet, sweet morphine. And I've got, um, got like, a cough medicine. I've got some of that. And I have, like, a tonic as well, which tastes like rhubarb. It's got lots of iron and vitamins and stuff like that, which, when you're not used to them, can kind of go through your body very, very um, rapidly. And uh, that's only adding to my general discomfort. So, here we are, just you and me. I was thinking about not doing a podcast because, you know, it is a a broadcast medium, an arrow medium. I have to be in your ears and my voice is all croaky and and terrible and minging. And I thought, oh, maybe I should just spare the people uh, my, uh, my voice. Maybe I should look after myself. Maybe I should, you know, rest do what the doctor said. He said, rest. You don't have to work. He said, do you want a, do you want a note for work? And I said, well, no, because I, you know, I work for myself. I work from home. And my boss is an absolute cunt. Even if I gave him a note from the doctor, he'd say, you fucking, you get to work, you prick. So I said, no. But he said, you should rest as much as possible. Do as much nothing as possible. But, you know, it's Friday and the people need an arse cast. So here we are, and we're going to have an arse cast of some description. We're going to look ahead to the to the game at the weekend against uh, uh, Southampton. Yes, my brain is a little bit slow as well, so we're going to talk about that game. Uh, what else are we going to do? We're going to do some uh, fan duel where you can win money playing one-day fantasy football. You can win some money if you're not me. I've been completely and utterly unsuccessful thus far at playing FanDuel, but, you know, I, I still have hopes. 
No, I don't. I, I lose. But you can win money. I'll tell you how to do that a little bit later on. And uh, what else? Uh, I don't fucking know at this point. I don't know. I'll just sit here and waffle for a little while, recline in my chair, think about how life would be better if I just had a little bit of little bit of morphine. But here I am, morphineless, sans morphine. What can you do though? You just have to take the uh, uh, what? The, what am I trying to say? You have to deal with whatever life serves you up. And it's uh, it's definitely not it's definitely not morphine. So what's happened since the last time we spoke? Uh, not a lot because there was an interlull. But everybody seems to have come back from the interlull uh, nice and fit and not broken, which is good. So that gives us plenty to choose from ahead of uh, ahead of the game against Southampton. I remembered. I remembered. So we've uh, a big squad to choose from, and we'll, uh, I guess, try and work out what sort of team he's going to play a bit later on in the show. Uh, the two new boys, the two latest new boys, I should say, Shkodran Mustafi and Lucas Perez, uh, they've been uh, assimilated into the group. They've been training. They've been uh, having the larks and hijinks with their new teammates, smiling and a laughing and a chuckling to each other making the jokes on the training ground, pointing at Coquelin's shoes. I don't know why, but I just feel like Francis Coquelin wears really terrible shoes. I could be completely wrong here. But if I had to guess, one player in the Arsenal team who wore really terrible shoes, it would be Francis Coquelin. I'm not sort of sure what terrible shoes they are. I wouldn't say they're like uh, Alex Song shoes like the things that, that he used to wear. But I'd say he goes to, you know, charity shops and picks up old brogues that have been donated by the families of, of old dead men, old men who have died, I guess is the right way to put that. Old-fashioned brogues, and maybe two sizes too big for him, but he doesn't care. He'll just stuff some newspaper down the toes, you see, and he'll wear them, wear them, wear them until the... The souls are worn away, and everyone goes, Francis, would you not buy some actual nice shoes? And he says, no, this is how I roll when it comes to shoes. This is, this is my shoe life. And I think we have to respect that. We have to respect Francis Coquelin's terrible shoes. So there. But look, um, yesterday, a book was published. In fact, I would say... Many books were published yesterday. I, I, you know, I don't have a list of all the books that were published around the world. However, one particular book uh, that will be of interest to Arsenal fans is by uh, Amy Lawrence and Stuart McFarlane, who is the uh, official club photographer. And they've released a book called uh, The Wenger Revolution, 20 Years of Arsenal. And what it is is uh, essentially a picture book uh, looking back over the 20 years of Arsene Wenger's time at the club, uh, the highs, obviously the lows, uh, with some uh, interviews, some annotations, I guess you'd say, uh, by Arsene Wenger. Uh, looking back on all those bits, so he's uh, he's gone back to relive some of the good moments and the bad. Uh, the book is out. The money goes to the Arsenal 
Foundation, which is a fantastic cause, as you all know. And uh, Amy and Stuart are here to talk to me about the book right now. So uh, hello to you guys. Hi. Hi. Listen, uh, let's talk uh, about the book, The Wenger Revolution. Amy, how how did the book come about? Well, the book really came about as an almost um, offspring, if you like, of of the Invincible book uh, of a couple of years ago, where Stuart very kindly provided me with uh, a fantastic array of photographs to illustrate it. And uh, he gave me a lot of stuff to look through and pick the things that were most appropriate. And there were so many fantastic pictures, and that was just one season that I was looking at, that it, I said to Stuart, you've got to do a, a book of photographs because over the years that you've been uh, within the club, at the heart of it all, um, having the kind of uh, access just by being around that you know most fans would would give their right arms for, um, it, it, there's, it tells a, a visual story really of what's been going on over a, a long period of time and, you know, you know the way that these things work. Uh, the 20-year uh, anniversary of Arsenal Wenger's time at Arsenal coming up mm. felt like quite a, you know, it, it marks a period of time. Um, it's been an incredibly eventful period of time. It, it Like like any 20-year marriage, you're going to have um, moments. Uh, it's not going to be a, a straight line. There's going to be brilliant <laughs> bits and bits that are a struggle. And, you, you know, that's the nature of any kind of relationship, I suppose. And telling the story of that, 20-year period through the photos and the access uh, that Stuart has um, was to just seem so obvious and with incredible luck through the support of the um, Arsenal Foundation we got uh, some time with Arsene and it was nice to be able to actually show him some of these photos and particularly when he was looking at the images from quite a long time ago you could see that he was really quite nostalgic and quite moved. Uh, and for a, a man who's usually quite reserved about how, what he portrays of himself in terms of his own emotions, I think it was it was nice for him to be able to sort of have a look himself in a way. Sure. Um, so the fact that he gives photo captions uh, to a lot of these images, I think, makes it uh, you know a, a really interesting look back at a period of Arsenal's history that will forever be remarkable um the the lekeep interview that arsene wenger did last year um which was really brilliant interview but he talked about uh the past and the future and and what he said was the only possible moment of happiness is the present the past gives you regrets and the future uncertainties Stuart, what was it like sort of looking back um maybe with arsene wenger on some of the moments because during the 20 years have been some incredible highs and obviously some some big disappointments was he was he open to looking back on all of that he he just looked at everything we, we put in front of him amy and i went through basically i went through 20 years of pictures got which was a few thousand got it down to a manageable manageable amount of pictures for amy and i to go through and then we went to the manager with about 100 i think it's about 100 mm. So he, he spoke about every pitch we put in front of him, it, the disappointment of you losing the Champions League final, up to the highs of the Invincibles, and he was very open. And it's not it's not a situation I've ever been in with him before, even being around him for that length of time to sit down and aid him to look at my work and <laughs> uh, say that's a good picture or that's not not a very good picture, or <laughs> no, to actually sit down and, and chat football with him and Amy so it was a it was it was a really massive thing for me considering I've known him for so long yeah I've never really had a, 
our conversations are always quite short, which is, he's obviously very busy. I'm very busy as well, obviously. Of course. But uh, that was the longest time I've spent sat in his company chatting. It, it was amazing, really. Yeah. It's when you, when you mentioned about um, him commenting on your photography, I remember there was one, a, a picture of Martin Keown and Duncan Ferguson grappling in a kind of really typical old-fashioned British gritty sort of scrap. Yeah. And, uh, and he, he, he particularly said, oh, you know, he about the photographers being able to capture these moments that really summed up in many ways you know the different eras that that have been within this 20 years it was quite it was quite interesting uh Stuart I think the last time we talked we we spoke about how much the the job had changed uh, since you first started taking pictures for Arsenal obviously with the advent of the internet I think at the time you had a, a fairly active Flickr account which was the thing back then but obviously now you've got to get your well you don't have to but I guess it's expected that your work goes out on all the social media channels Twitter Facebook Instagram uh, all that kind of stuff how much has that changed things for you and obviously people have the ability to to comment on your work and, and obviously let you know that you're to blame for us not signing players I mean how does that work these days <laughs> it's uh, it's changed but it's changed for changed for the better photography's sort of risen from the ashes in a way through social media so I think we're more appreciated myself and David who is the other club photographer I think we're more appreciated now because our imagery brings a lot of uh, lot of interest in the football club uh, I try not to look at all the re- replies I get to pictures I get plenty of signed players and stuff about various players and manager and I try not to read and I don't ever respond to it but it's uh it's just it just goes with the territory I suppose yeah. but uh, it, it photography has sort of risen again and uh, we feel as though and that's probably the reason why this book's happened because we were sort of disappearing a bit behind all the TV people but now you know, the hits at the club get through our pictures, you know, on Instagram, they get 100,000 views and stuff like that. It's, you know, it makes you actually feel worthy to be working at Arsenal now. <laughs> and how was it looking back over, I don't know, 20 years worth of images? Was there stuff you had forgotten? Was there stuff you looked at and went, well, oh, I can't use that? Uh, I mean, it must have been quite a trip down memory lane for you, time-consuming one, I guess, as well. Yeah, it's, it's quite daunting because we've got, probably about a million and a half pictures in our library uh, so to go through that it, it was quite tricky we i think a- amy worked amy and i worked out some chapters so we narrowed that down but it's great it's great to go back and look at stuff because i suppose it's the same as a writer you write a book or you and then you don't ever read it you just push it put it to one side and same with same with your photographs as well because you only you only really look forward to your next set of pictures mm. so actually going back and looking through some old pictures was really nice and there's some stuff i haven't seen for 10 15 years and stuff that i took at the time and thought wasn't very good and now they seem to have a you know that it, it was a poignant moment, maybe that we hadn't ever thought of before. So it, it was a great experience, but it took a long time. It's quite nostalgic in the sense as well, looking back, particularly on lots of pictures of Highbury. Um, yeah, I mean, that was what struck me, as well as obviously looking back at uh, uh, in the first half of, of of the Wenger era when there was clearly more tangible success in terms of trophies, and um, you looked at certain players and and the way they carried themselves and. Uh, things like that, which are evocative. But I really felt I, I've often found myself just drawn to looking at the background and seeing seeing Highbury, um, whether it was inside the dressing room or, or um, you know, some of the kind of 
nooks and crannies that were within yeah. the ground or whether it was the, the, the pictures of the faces in the crowd behind uh, a, a moment happening um, because it was it it was such a magical place and I think it, it was so associated with that first half of the Wenger era. Um, what, what, what were his thoughts on Highbury? Well, obviously, you must have discussed that with him. Well, that was something I thought was was amazing as well because he he, he seemed... He seemed almost a little bit embarrassed um, when he was looking at some of the pictures to start with, as if he thought to himself, shall I say this or not? And then he did. And he said, you're probably going to laugh at me, but sometimes I just drive past and stop for a bit and have a look. And I found that a really uh, striking moment because, you know, you'd expect a supporter to feel that. You would expect, you know, a fan to have that link with the place. and go back and kind of play, uh, pay some sort of homage to it, or feel overwhelmed by seeing it again and the memories that it brings. But you know, the manager who that was his place of work essentially. Um, he said that amazing thing about because as a photographer, you just take pictures, you don't think of sounds and stuff. But he said this thing about the tunnel, about the narrow tunnel, and the sound of the players' studs on the steps on the way down, which. I'd never really thought about it until he said it, and and it did bring back so many memories of I used to stand in the tunnel and photograph players as they walked out. That that sound, you know, it's a unique sound. You don't get it. You don't get it at football grounds anymore. The new football grounds, you know, it was yeah. metal studs on on concrete steps. It's quite amazing, really. Um. So look, the the book is uh, the Wenger Revolution. It's out um, published today, but uh, you're you're having a launch towards the end of the month um, in the Tollington, I believe. Yeah, um, uh, details not quite, but nearly confirmed. But yeah, on the 29th of um, of September, uh, the day after the home Basel. game against Basel, coming over. Um, yeah, you're really well. I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to be on my way back from uh, from New York, actually, so I'm not sure, but I'll oh, I'll try. <laughs> but yeah, it should be a fun night. So anyone who fancies popping down will will be in the Tollington, and uh, yeah, come along. Uh-huh. Brilliant. Okay. Well, look. Um, let's just move on a little bit and talk a, a bit more general football, Amy. Um, towards the end of the transfer window, uh, people's minds were were put at ease with two uh, fairly substantial signings. Uh, Shkodran Mustafi came in from Valencia. Lucas Perez in from Deportivo La Coruña. Um, and and it seems to have pretty much completed the squad. You would say um, Mustafi, a player we've been linked with for some time, and and Perez seems to be one of those classic Arsene Wenger moves that nobody was really expecting uh, a striker from left field out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, I'd be um, turning a big porky pie if I sat here and claimed expertise on uh, the nuances of Lucas Perez's game, but uh, it, it it seems obvious having gone for Vardy um, so early in 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 the window. Uh, and the way that planned out, that maybe it's not so shocking that he's gone for someone who, by all accounts, has pretty similar qualities and uh, that that sharpness of speed, um, the ability to sort of uh, run wide and 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 then come in from come in centrally, a a kind of hunger and a desire that you associate with someone who has maybe had to wait a bit for their career to really kickstart. Um, so, you know, in many ways, if you can't get the one that you want and you can get something that's in, in the same mould, there's a logic there. Mm. Um, I guess there's also a financial logic in that there's, there was, a, you know, around about £100 million 
in this window to be spent. And that, that's just a whole interesting sub-discussion where you can argue, looking at the squad, you know, if you rewind to, um, uh, to the end of last season, you've got 100 million quid, what do you do with it? Because you're, you're victims of the market to an extent, because any player that you might like or any players you might like, it's all got to add up somehow. Um, and, you know, would you have spent the lot on, you know, obviously didn't go for Pogba, but might they have gone for it? Or would you have spent the vast majority of it on a whacking great bid for someone like uh, Griezmann or Aubameyang, who mm. you know is going to be of a calibre and of a status that is going to bring something in personality and in charisma, as well as in actually their ability to play football. That's one way of doing it. But if you do that, then you can't buy four or five players. And, you know, the defense centre-half situation quickly became urgent. Um, so it was a case of, if you're gonna buy, are you going to buy someone to get you over a few months? Well, maybe the, the history of, of watching Arsenal in, in recent seasons tells you that wasn't the thing to do. Um, yeah. Because obviously Mertesacker's not getting any younger or faster uh, for the great sort of guy he is to have around the place and the great professional he is. Um, and Gabriel has uh, plainly struggled to make the kind of impact, irrespective of the injury, that perhaps everybody was hoping he would do um, 18 months into, into to, to signing for the club. And Callum Chambers, by going off on Loney, obviously... With the feeling was that he needed to, to to play more. So, if that's where you're at, you've got to go relatively big. Um, so, they had to spend a, you know relatively substantial amount of money on on Mustafi. So, mm. it doesn't free up the mega money to go for a, a centre forward. And clearly, centre forwards, when you look around the market, have been so insanely priced uh, over this over this window. And there are so few of them about. It's not like you've got a great selection and you think, oh, well, I'll, you know, I can get one for, I can go for the 80 million type or I can go for a 60 million or a 50 or 40 or 30 or 20. You know, there aren't that many. So everybody's yeah. being um, ratcheted up in terms of their supposed value. So I think going for a Lucas Perez, who knows what we're going to, what we're going to see. Um with luck, he'll he'll be that Vardy type player, and he'll bring great energy and goals and personality and a fearlessness to the team. It's a big ask for for a player who you're kind of thinking adaptation wise, how much time you're really giving him. You know, he hasn't got to go straight into the team in the same way that probably Mustafi will. Perez probably can. Start. I imagine he might well start on the bench for a few games while he has a look and gets tasters of action because with Alexis Sanchez, Giroud, um, Theo Walcott, uh, etc. around, Ozil, Cazorla, so on, uh, in terms of creativity, it's probably not urgent for him to start on Saturday. Yeah. Um, Whereas I expect Mustafi to start. Sure. I mean, when you look at the, the purchases that he's made, um, he's brought in two central defenders uh, in Rob Holding and Mustafi. He's brought in a fairly robust central midfielder in Granite Xhaka on top of Mohamed Elneny, who arrived last January, and uh, a striker as well. Um, could we say that he's pretty much addressed w what people would consider the spine of the team? Um, and, and yeah, for and once, if I, if I checked to that coming, you know, yeah. just over a year ago, that is every part of the spine. 
Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that <laughs> it's an important part to get right. The key is to get the balance of the team right, knowing that you're going to be having to shuffle around because that's the nature of modern football. Um, but have a system and, and have, ideally speaking, you know, certain things that that's your first choice. You know, if you've got a big game, you know that this is going to be your go-to team if everybody's fit. And at the moment, we don't know what that is. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say. I mean, it's difficult to pick out what, what will be or should be the first 11, particularly in, in the midfield areas uh, where he's, I think he's got so many choices um, that it's going to take a little bit of experimentation to, to get things the way he wants to. I mean, is that a good problem for him to have rather than sort of the predictable, okay, well, this is the, the first 11 because they're, okay, the most fit um, and they're the players we've got to choose? I mean, the nature of modern football is there's always more juggling than you think I mean in some ways when you look at Leicester season the the luck that they had in being able to feel, field a, a really uh, a core of the team that was very seldom changed for a lot of that season gave them a great platform it just, you know Ranieri stumbled upon something that worked and remember Ranieri arrived in pre-season so it wasn't like some great master plan that you know taken a long time to pull together he kind of chucked a few things around and, and, and tinkered a little bit with, with what had been what had, a team that had done, done really well for the previous three or four months. And it all just, it, it suddenly took off. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I expect that probably between now and Christmas, one of the things that Arsene will be trying to do is to, is to find the best click, you know, and there'll be a bit of experimenting here and there and some, some teams, you know, might absolutely work, um, and and other other bits might not be so balanced. So, I mean, obviously, you're going to get a different vibe from your midfield if you play um, Coquelin and El Nenny mm. than if you're playing Zola, um, you know, alongside Shaka, uh, for example, and various other alternatives between that four. Uh, so, so we'll have to see what emerges in the way that the Cazorla. Um, Coquelin partnership that was a great foundation a couple of years ago just sort of appeared from nowhere yeah. and I think a similar thing will happen up front because there's still a lot of a bit of variation that you can do with uh, whether you're going to play Giroud in the middle and then the kind of usual three behind and will it be Ozil and and um, Lucas and, and Alexis or will it be some other combination because you need to be a bit in certain games a bit more defensive or this or that you know, it'll, well, it'll be quite interesting to see what Arsene is seeing in training on the day-to-day basis, which is what influences his decision on the weekend, sure. pretty much all the. Stuart, you see them in training because you're taking all the all the pictures. Uh, I know maybe it's not you're not the right person to ask, but how do they look to be settling in? I mean, people talk about adaptation when a player comes to a new club, but it, uh, Xhaka was talking last week about how everything at Arsenal was just so perfect for them uh, to settle in and, and play their best football. Well, it's a, the environment at the training ground is amazing and it's welcoming for the players. You know, it's, a, it's a lovely place to, to be around, especially when the sun's out this time of year. Yeah. But, uh, but I've only covered one training session with the two newer signings and they seem to have fitted in really well, look really happy, uh, good, both very chatty, good talkers. Uh, I think they'll fit in really well. I, I think the manager will always buy players that he feels will fit in with the group. So, uh, yeah, I'm positive 
Always positive, me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, does uh, is Perez uh, an English speaker yet, or is he uh, hanging out with the Spanish contingent or the Spanish speaking contingent? He does, he does speak English because his his father his father actually lives in London, uh, has lived in London for about ten years, I think. Mm. So when we did his when I did his signing pictures, it, it, it wasn't. He said it wasn't great, but his English was far better than my Spanish, <laughs> and uh, Mustafi can't even say his first name yet. His English is. Is perfect, like you'd expect most German internationals to speak perfect English. Yeah, he managed to avoid the uh, the Scouse accent from his uh, from his years in Everton. A bit of a blessing there. Yeah, he was, yeah. He said he did say that he it, it did develop when he was there a little bit, but he's forgotten it now. Okay, that's good. But, uh, <laughs> we'll teach him how to speak properly. Yes, yes, no doubt. Uh, Amy, just want to talk uh, finally just a bit about uh, Jack Wilshire. Um, the loan of, of Callum Chambers to Middlesbrough, you can see why exactly why that happened. Uh, he's still a very young player, only 21, a centre-half, and he's at an age where he really needs to play. But Jack Wilshire going to be 25 in January, and uh, I suppose on the one hand you can say he needs to play, but on the other, would he not be better off playing or fighting for, for his place at, at Arsenal? How did you view the move and, and the way it seemed to come about so quickly towards the end of the window? I'll be honest, I was a bit mystified by it all. Um, I, I've i always had a bit of a soft spot for for Jack um, since uh, seeing him sometimes playing for the youth teams. And apart from his obviously talent that stood out, he had that um, real strength of personality and uh, uh, a character. And you could see that he he had a pride in the shirt and it's a kind of, it's a bit of a kind of cheap thing to say, but I think he really felt it. Um, mm. And I sometimes think you underestimate the influence of having people around the team who really, to borrow a phrase that a couple of my old mates used to say in in, in our youth, really knows what it means. Um, and I think that, you know, for all his injury difficulties, which are well documented, he is a very good person to have in your dressing room and in your club. If it's particularly for Arsenal, he'd be good in any dressing room, I can imagine, because he's got got a good character. But he he felt a lot for the club, and having come through, um, had that slight part of the furniture feel. I think a little bit around him. Sometimes when you're part of the furniture, you can get taken a bit for granted. Um, but I just think if you're going into a tough, you know, a real under pressure game at White Hart Lane, or you know, got to play Mourinho coming up, or whatever it might be. Yeah, I think if you have Jack around and in your dressing room, you know, you know he understands in a way that you, for all the professionalism and the goodwill of of other players that are not brought, not so rooted in the club, then clearly not going to have that same sense of what it really means. Mm. Um, so I think that's it's a. Quite apart from the player, I think that's a bit of a loss. What What do you think of the manager's decision then to allow him to leave? Because if we um, come to understand that it was it was Jack who asked to leave on loan because he wants to play more regularly, does it say something that Arsene Wenger has allowed him to do that rather than say, "Look, you know, you're a, you're a very important player here." Uh, you're a little bit down the pecking order, but you know you understand why that is. Stay and fight for your place. Yeah, I I guess, um, and you know, I good good on Jack if he you know if he did feel that he was that desperate to play 
that it was time to try something else. Um, but I think it would have been. I think if he had have stayed, he would have had plenty of football. Uh, yeah. Given the 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 usual state of affairs with uh, with Arsenal and injuries, I, it's not too surprising. Even if you are a bit down the pecking order, to find you suddenly playing a lot. Um, but quality wise, if he did have the fitness, I I, I can't see why he wouldn't be as you know. Uh, on the same level as anybody else in that midfield looking for, you know, being chosen and up for selection. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've no, no idea, but you know, you wonder if just the cumulative effect of, of the injuries played its part and whether it's Arson maybe thinking that if he's fallen down the packing order, that's partly out of a sense that he might not feel able to trust in Jack being available. Um, I don't know whether it's a kind of almost sort of like a DRB syndrome, you know, because for so many years, Arsene kept hoping that DRB would be okay. Um, and you know, there was a, sp- a space in the squad for him. And it, w- it obviously became an impossible situation and an unhelpful situation, a really sad situation for DRB, but difficult from the manager's point of view. When you, you know, if you're running out of flares, you've got injury crisis and one of your players there was always a fair chance he was going to struggle to play. Yeah. So I don't know whether that's part of the thinking um, because Aaron Ramsey sometimes you know, can be a bit vulnerable in terms of injury and you just think maybe can you, you know, do you want to have two players in that central midfield area that you're not sure if they're going to be be able to be fully fit and fine for the whole of the season. You know, they do a gazillion tests mm. on on the, the physical capabilities of the players and it, it might be that that was part of things, but I mean, I'm guessing. Do you, I mean, do you feel like it's um, like this is a chance to to I won't say prove himself because we know the talent is there, but certainly uh, prove his fitness. Um, the worry might be that this is the the beginning of the end to a certain extent. That if you're allowed to leave at this stage in your career as very much a senior professional, uh, it, it might cast doubt over your your future at Arsenal. But do you think if he plays well and performs for Bournemouth, uh, that the door remains pretty much open for him? I really hope so. Um, I, I, I would worry that if he plays well and is fit all season and is great, that he's got a year left on his contract and he might think to himself, well. If if they were if they were willing to, you know, let me go, maybe I'll maybe that's not you know the place that I've maybe that commitment's difficult to replicate. Mm. Um, that might be a bigger a bigger risk than 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 the other way around. I think if he plays has a great season and is fully fit, that then it would be it would be mad for Arsenal to to not be really keen to bring him back. Mm. All right, well, look, we'll uh, we'll see how it plays out, and uh, we better leave it there. Amy, thanks very much. Stuart, thank you very much indeed, and uh, best of luck with the book. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed to Amy and to Stuart. Uh, the book looks absolutely great. It's called The Wenger Revolution. Uh, it's published by Bloomsbury Sport, and if you want some more details on that, you can find uh, you can find them on Stuart's Twitter, uh, at Stuart underscore photo AFC, and Amy Lawrence at Amy Lawrence 71 And if you check today's blog, on arsblog.com. You'll find some links and bits and pieces there to uh, point you in the right direction. And uh, as soon as we have final details uh, for the launch, uh, which is taking place in the Tollington, we'll give you those too so you can get yourselves down and uh, get a a beautifully signed copy of this uh, fantastic new book.
Right then, let's talk very quickly about FanDuel. FanDuel is one-day fantasy football where you can win real-life, honest-to-goodness cash. That's right. You can get the apps or you can play online at fanduel.co.uk. You don't have to commit for a whole season. You don't have to do any of that kind of stuff. You just enter the various contests. The contest that we're entering this week is the £7,500 fan favourite. It costs £5 to enter the £7,500 worth in prizes and 400 people will win cash. That covers all the fixtures this weekend. All right. Sorry, my voice is uh, is really going. Uh, I have been uh, quite unsuccessful in trying to win any money, but my team uh, to try and win some this week is uh, Czech, Callum Chambers, Matip, Robertson. I don't even know who the fuck that is. Robertson? Who's he? Seriously, I've got no idea. Robertson? He's a defender anyway. I don't know who he plays for. Uh, Hazard, Shakiri, Mares, Mane, Alexis Sanchez, Callum Wilson, and Negredo. So uh, apart from my wild card in there of Robertson, I think we're we're doing okay. So will that team win some money? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. If you want to sign up with FanDuel, uh, use the promo code ARSBLOG. All right? Use the promo code ARSBLOG. And if you don't win cash in your first entry, they'll refund it to you. So you can just use it again for another one. So check it out. Go to FanDuel.co.uk. Enter the promo code ARSBLOG in the promo code field. And away you go. You can also download the apps for iOS and for Android. So check it out, fanduel.co.uk. So what else is going on? I don't know. I don't know how much more my voice is able to uh, to deal with. Matthew Flamini has gone to Crystal Palace on a free transfer. And I think we all know what this means. We're going to have to prepare ourselves for the crushing disappointment of, of Mesut Ozil leaving us for, uh, for Palace next year to go and play with Matt Flam, and also, of course, to get down and dirty with creepy Uncle Dancer, Alan Pardew. That's right. Anyway, Flamini's there, but Nicholas Bentner, he signed for Nottingham Forest. The greatest striker that ever lived is now playing for Nottingham Forest. And who is it that Arsenal are going to be playing in the Capital One, uh, Rumbelows, Littlewoods, Coca-Cola, Milk Cup, whatever the fuck it's called these days? That's right. Nottingham Forest. It's a reunion with Big Mick Benner. It's going to be really something, isn't it? What a guy. What a guy he is. I don't know what the fuck goes on in his head, to be perfectly honest. I'm not sure anyone can really figure it out, but he's 28 now. He'll be uh, 29 in January, but until such time as he's 29, he remains 28. And, you know, for all the laughs and jokes... He could have been a much better player or he could have had a much more successful career if, you know, he didn't get his winkle out and smear it all over the back of a taxi. You know, that kind of stuff. The stuff you really shouldn't be doing. Not, not just if you're a professional footballer. Nobody, nobody should be wiping their willy on the back of a taxi. I'm sorry. There's no justification for that whatsoever. And Nicholas Bentner is a guy who had a lot of talent just not anywhere near enough application, but uh, we'll see what happens. Will he be out to uh, show us what we're missing when we play Nottingham Forest? I don't know. I would say, if I had to guess, it's going to be 50-50. He either will or he won't. And, you know, they uh, they dismiss statistics as, as a passing fad. I mean, that's it's inarguable right there. So, uh, yeah, we'll, well, I guess we'll look forward to seeing him. So, look, this weekend... We've got uh, Southampton at home 
And, uh, sorry about this, but the end of the transfer window, you know, uh, after the game against Liverpool, people were unhappy, of course, because you lose at home to Liverpool. The draw against Leicester, you can sort of compartmentalise that. And then you win against Watford, you sign a couple of players, the squad looks full, the squad looks complete, it's got depth and options and all that kind of stuff. And so there's a bit of, there's a bit of goodwill generated, right? But the whole point of signing players is not to make fans happy. That's not why you sign players. You sign players to make the team better, to make the squad better, to help you uh, win games. And that's what these two guys, along with the other uh, recruits uh, this summer, have got to do. I think Mustafi is probably going to start alongside Kishelny at centre-half. You know, he's experienced enough to come into the team and, and not get freaked out by making his debut. Um, Perez, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what the manager thinks of him. Uh, as Amy was saying, he might be a guy that comes in off the bench for the first couple of games. Uh, but certainly he gives us uh, a different option at center forward. And I do think that we're going to see him playing from wide positions as well. Uh, maybe that left footer on the right-hand side um, that has you know, served, uh, served other teams and other players well. And uh, I don't think it's really something we've seen an awful lot of during uh, Arsene Wenger's tenure. Obviously, Robert Perez, a right-footed player uh, playing from the left. Uh, A lot of the players that uh, play down the left have been right-footed, of course. Alexis, uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain has played there, etc., etc. Iwobi, he plays there. Um, But to have a left-footer coming in from the right-hand side, maybe that's a little bit of extra variety as well. So we'll have to wait and see what sort of a team he picks. Um, I don't think it'll be too different from the one that started against against Watford. Certainly the midfield of uh, Xhaka and Cazorla and Ozil worked very well. You could see Alexis move back to the left uh, with Olivier Giroud coming back into the team for a start. Uh, now that he's a bit more uh, up to speed in terms of uh, his match fitness. But uh, apart from that, I don't think there'll be too many surprises. And it'll be interesting to see what the manager does in terms of, uh, you know, working his options and and using the full depth of his squad uh, throughout this season. So uh, let's hope we can continue or carry that bit of goodwill into the performance and into the game uh, against Southampton on Saturday. The Emirates has been has been a bit tetchy at times, um, and that's because of the way that we've played or the way that we haven't performed. So if we can you know, take this goodwill, put in a good performance, uh, get three points and play well against Southampton, maybe we can just start to get a little bit of momentum going. Uh, the two Manchester sides play each other this weekend, uh, Mourinho against uh, Pep Guardiola, of course. Uh, given the state of the table... That's a game that I would like to see turn out as a draw, but obviously uh, the uh, the uh, the animosity between the two managers, if that could translate itself to the players and they spent 90 minutes kicking the absolute fuck out of each other, I'd really enjoy that too. Like if it finished eight men each, I'd, just, I'd really love that. As long as it was a draw, that would be absolutely fucking amazing. Just kill each other. Come on. Let it all go. Get it out there. You know, start as you mean to go on. The two of them hate each other. Their teams should hate each other. There should be a bit more hate. Just kick the fuck out of each other for all of our entertainment. For the for the neutral, do it for the neutral. Don't give us a spe- uh, spectacular game of football. Give us ultra-violence. That's what we really want. Ultra-violence and a draw so we can just close the gap a little bit. All right, well, look, I'm going to leave it there because I just don't have the voice to continue any longer. Hopefully, I'll be a bit more mended by uh, the time Monday comes around. James and I will be discussing uh, the Southampton game on the Arscast Extra. And, of course, we've got Champions League football next week. 
We do, don't we? Oh my goodness, yeah, that's right. We've got uh, our first Champions League game away uh, at PSG. So uh, plenty going on over the next, uh, over the next uh, whatever that is, some days, days, hours, a number of hours, whatever it is. My, my eyes hurt. My eyes hurt. How is that possible? Thank you, as ever, for listening. Uh, I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, have yourselves a great weekend. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hello everyone. This is Arsene Vanker Hawkins. You might have seen a story this week, which said that I would not allow Jose Mourinho to sit beside me. This story is 100% false. I said, yeah, you can sit beside me, bitch. But if you do I am gonna beat you down like a stone-cold mongoose. I'll bash your ass. I'll dry hump you with my wheelchair. I'll tie you up and whip you with dead eels. I'll electrocute your nipples. I'll pour hot wax on your balls. I'll fondle you with fish knives covered in turpentine. And when you're spent, I'll do it all over again. Now, do you still want to sit down? And he said, okay. He's one kinky fucker, let me tell you. Oh yes.